This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and managing editor of the Business of Government magazine. When Congress passed the Digital Accountability and Transparency Act of 2014, also known as the Data Act, the idea behind it was simple enough. Transform federal spending information from disconnected documents into open data to improve spending transparency, transform federal financial management, and stimulate ideas and innovation. But when you take this simple idea and scale it up to the size of the biggest entity in the world, the U.S. federal government, it quickly becomes a monumental task. It's about taking the complicated structure of federal government spending and imposing a consistent data structure on top of it. Since the beginning, the U.S. Department of the Treasury and the Office of Management and Budget has been leading the implementation of the Data Act to provide more accessible, searchable, and reliable spending data for the purpose of promoting transparency, facilitating better decision-making, and improving operational efficiency. We have a unique opportunity to unlock the spending data that is scattered across the government and access it in new ways that will create public value. How is the Data Act being implemented? What are the requirements of the Data Act? And what are some of the key challenges in implementing the Data Act? We'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Christina Ho. Deputy Assistant Secretary, Accounting Policy and Financial Transparency at the U.S. Department of the Treasury. Christina, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Also joining our conversation from IBM is Catherine Eustace. Catherine, as always, welcome. Thank you. So, Christina, could you set some context? Perhaps you could provide a brief overview of the history and continued evolution of the mission of the U.S. Department of the Treasury. Managing the finance of uh, the federal government has always been a primary function of the Department of the Treasury. The Department of Treasury was created in 1789 to collect, safeguard, and disperse public money and account for its collection and payments. To serve its mission, it created, at the time, the Register of the Treasury, which has evolved into today's Bureau of the Fiscal Service. In 1789, the first Treasury Secretary, Alexander Hamilton, published the first monthly Treasury statement, and we still publish that every month. I also think that although the complexity of the spending and technology has evolved, Treasury's mission to has not changed, and the founding father would be pleased with the 
uh, work that we have done. And I think they will also be pleased with the fact that Treasury is taking on a more leadership role on the spending transparency space over USA Spending and Data Act. So moving from uh, general to specific, I'd like to know a little bit more about your portfolio at Treasury. Uh, what can you tell us uh, about the role of Deputy Assistant Secretary for Accounting Policy and Fiscal Transparency? What, what's in your portfolio, too? In my role, I oversee the development of the annual financial report for the federal government. Uh, I represent Treasury on the Federal Accounting Standards Advisory Board, and I also oversee Treasury's spending transparency work, which largely compressed with USA Spending and Data Act. One of my goals for my office is to shift the focus from reporting on financial information retroactively to more interactive transparency with the public and other outside stakeholders on federal financial data. We want to make financial data more actionable and useful to improve the operations of the federal government and to keep the public better informed. Regarding your responsibilities and duties, what are your top three challenges that you face in your position, and have you sought to address these challenges? Since my portfolio is government-wide, I do have a perspective and see the common challenges across the government. The top three challenges I see would be how to change the culture of the silo processes and compliance-driven culture to one of more integration, collaboration, and value outcome-driven. For Data Act, we are taking an approach to really require agencies to take a very collaborative and cross-functional approach, and that actually can be very challenging. The second challenge is how to recruit and retain talent. The hiring within the federal government is not always fast and, and easy, and that creates challenge for us to be competitive and get the talent. In the way that I have approached it, uh, I've been able to build a team with great passion for the work, especially the transparency work, and they also work well together, um, very team-oriented, and they also are very open to new ideas. The last challenge I say would be how to help people to see the vision and the possibilities of the 21st century government. It's um, the government, there are many people who, including the public, who, who would think that the government can never be better and change. But there's great possibilities exist that we can collectively make the government much better. So, you know, part of your portfolio is, uh, if not the biggest part, is the implementation of the Data Act. And, and that's, a, that's a significant change management effort to go across the whole of government. But, you know, along with the challenges of doing that, I'd be interested to know what sort of unexpected or unanticipated surprises have you f faced in, in your current role and in this effort? Uh, after the Data Act was enacted, we knew that it was a significant opportunity we did not want to implement it as a compliance exercise and miss the opportunity to make the government better. We worked on developing the value proposition for agencies. When we identified the value proposition to have better access to their data, I was most surprised by how much that resonated with government officials as well as employees. 
that shows me that the problem of not being able to access data uh, was common and a, a big problem. And that also showed me that we were on the right track in terms of our approach. Christina, I'd like to know a little bit more about you. Can you share with our listeners um, where you're career began and how, and what brought you to your current leadership role? I've had a very diverse career path. I've changed career twice and changed jobs many times. I built a very successful career in the private sector for 17 years before joining the federal government. Some of the common themes I see in in my career path was that I like new challenges. I reinvented myself uh, successfully several times when changing careers. One thing that ultimately got me to the federal government was eventually I realized all the changes I made was because I was looking for meaning in my work. Working for the federal government has given me a great sense of mission, and I feel that I'm making a significant impact every day. As to how I got to where I am today, I joined the federal government in 2009 in the middle of the financial crisis. I was hired to run the Treasury Securities Auction Operations. A year later, I went to um, the main Uh, Treasury to stand up a program office to support the Small Business Jobs Act of of 2010. In October 2012, I became the Assistant Commissioner for Government-Wide Accounting at Fiscal Service. Fiscal Service at the time was going through consolidation, and Government-Wide Accounting was one of the most impacted organizations. One of my biggest priorities at the time was to ensure operational continuity with a 25% turnover rate. We also were in the middle of modernizing major systems that have been going on for several years. I then developed a long-term vision for government-wide accounting um, to be a data organization at some point because I recognized the work that government-wide accounting was doing was largely about collecting data editing them, consolidating them, and then publishing them. Then data transparency became one of the strategic goals for fiscal service, and I was asked to develop a vision and build a team to execute on that vision. That was in October 2013. A few months later, I was asked to be detailed into my current position, and of course, the implementation of the data became a significant part of my job once it was enacted in May 2014. So actually, Christina, I meant to ask you, I was a little remiss in sort of housekeeping, how many people uh, are in your uh, office and do you have a line item budget for your efforts? I just was wondering. Yes. So my office uh, at Main Treasury is rather small okay. because at the Treasury, uh, Main Treasury, it's mostly policy focus. Mm-hmm. The operations in general in the government, the, the setup are uh, within the bureau. So I oversee the operations um, in, in the program management office at the Bureau of the Fiscal Service in, in doing the uh, actual implementation of the data. And that's where most of the um, staff and also contracting resources reside. Okay, that's a good clarification. So um, I'd like to get a better understanding 
uh, it was an interesting career path. And uh, I mean, you've been uh, in service and it's only been six years since you've been in the federal government. A lot of work uh, uh, under your hat there. But what about your leadership style and management approach? And, and, and actually, if you could take it from like, how did you have to pivot from your 17 year career in the private sector to really be as successful as you've been in the public sector? And what kind of different leadership skills do you need in that way to make that transition? Yes, a few principles and values that drive me as a leader. The first one is accountability. Um, as a leader, I must be accountable for delivering outcomes. Um, even though effort does matter to some degree, ultimately it's the results that count. And that has been obviously in the private sector that is a, a key focus and I think in the federal government increasingly that is the expectation. I'm accountable to my team. I need to support my people to get the job done whenever and whatever they need. I'm accountable to my partners including the agency. I need to make sure that uh, they get values from their work. And then also in my current work, I also feel a great sense of accountability to the public, given the significant amount of the spending. Uh, the second value and principle that really drive me is promoting and developing talents. I spent several years in the consulting environment uh, in the private sector, and in that environment, Talents was really the people were the main asset. So I really learned a lot uh, on that. And I uh, one of the most important job um, for a leader is to develop their people. And helping them to reach their fullest potential is the most rewarding and important part of my job on a daily basis. Thirdly, I think... I am always open to innovative and new ideas. I don't have all the answers and solutions. Uh, I want to listen to many smart people and get their help. Those are three things that really drive me. Uh, in terms of the transition from the federal, from the private sector to federal government, I think these are really consistent. Now, in the public sector, there's a lot more. Um, one, it's not profit-driven, so it's very mission-focused. And performance, therefore, is harder to measure. Mm. And then also, in a, because of it, its mission-focused, there are many, many more stakeholders yeah. than the private sector. So it's a lot more complex and requires a lot more coalition-building and uh, pragmatism. Mm to be successful because in order to ensure that um, the stakeholders' needs are met, and, and I would say there are diverse needs, <laughs> that uh, you have to take a pragmatic approach in order to achieve results that, that can continue to help um, us to move um, and improve. What are the requirements of the Data Act? We will ask Christina Ho. Deputy Assistant Secretary for Accounting Policy and Financial Transparency within the U.S. Department of the Treasury when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. Hi, 
How can DOD improve its acquisition processes? Check out the latest IBM Center report, Eight Actions to Improve Defense Acquisition. The authors emphasize the urgency of acquisition reform in DOD, given budgetary constraints and security challenges. Finding that DOD will need to gain every possible efficiency while resisting the temptation to buy defense on the cheap. This report continues the IBM Center's interest in better understanding and improving the federal government acquisition process. Download your free copy at businessofgovernment.org. What is enterprise risk management? How can federal agencies successfully implement ERM? And what are some of the key challenges of implementing ERM? Join host Michael Keegan as he explores these questions and more with Doug Webster and Tom Stanton, the authors of Improving Government Decision-Making Through Enterprise Risk Management. Tune in Mondays at 11 a.m. for the Business of Government Hour on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Christina Ho, Deputy Assistant Secretary for Accounting Policy and Financial Transparency within the U.S. Department of the Treasury. Also joining us from IBM is Catherine Eustace. So, Christina, would you tell us more about the Data Accountability and Transparency Act of 2014, what is commonly referred to as the Data Act now? Perhaps you can highlight some of the key requirements of the Act, and uh, I'm interested in understanding the long-term benefits of meeting these requirements. Yes, the Data Act expands the Federal Funding Accountability and Transparency Act of 2006 to disclose direct federal agency expenditures and linking federal contract loan and grant spending information to agency program activity information, which will allow um, taxpayer and policymakers to track federal spending more effectively. As we look at expanding the data provided for the federal government spending, it boils down to three things. Extracting the data, we need to get the data out, which resides in many, many systems across the government. Then we have to publish it in a way that allow um, all the stakeholders to, to consume and understand the data. Lastly, we need to have people use the data, which means that um, the data needs to be good quality. And also, ultimately, if, if we're making data accessible and it's not used, it does not create any value. I often refer to the, a simple formula that data plus use equals value. And what we're doing for data is try to make it accessible so that people can use it to derive values. So how does the Data Act complement some of the other federal financial transparency efforts and laws that are underway? The first legislation to require transparency was enacted in 2006, Mm -hmm. the Federal Financial Accountability and Transparency Act. That law established USAspending.gov and required the data for contracts, grants, and loans to be published online for awards over $25,000. The Data Act amends the federal funding Transparency and Accountability Act by adding additional reporting requirements and establishing data standard. We are also thinking about how the Data Act might complement the CFO Act 
and looking for ways to create more linkages between that efforts. Getting access to program information that can be linked to financial data is a challenge for many CFOs, and the data requires new linkages between the financial and award data. Often, provide more program information with. Uh, like program activity and object class, those would be helpful to the CFOs. I believe that data will support many of the goals of the CFO Act to use financial data strategically to help federal agencies work more efficiently and effectively. This is a, a really significant government-wide effort and requires a focused plan. To that end, what would you explain the governance and the implementation structure? That's being used to meet the requirements of the Data Act. We establish a robust governance structure to oversee the Data Act implementation. Last year, David Mader, the controller at OMB, and David Liebrig, the fiscal assistant secretary at Treasury, formed the Data Act Executive Steering Committee and are ultimately responsible for setting overall policy guidance and making decisions related to Data Act implementation. We also established an interagency advisory committee to advise the executive steering committee. Representatives come from across the federal government, including officials from the finance, procurement, financial assistance, budget, performance, and te- technology policy offices. This com- committee, in a consultative role, serves as a forum for advising. And challenging recommendations on data standards and providing input on other data act issues. In addition, Treasury and OMB have identified senior accountable officials at each agency to lead the implementation. The agencies are ultimately required to implement; uh, are the one who need to implement the data act. So, can you tell us a little bit more about your implementation approach with the Data Act? Perhaps, maybe describe the data-centric, strategic approach and how it differs from the traditional um, systems approach. When the law was first enacted, I knew that how we did the work would be just as important as what we did and what we were about to do. So, our strategy focused on a few things. The first thing is that our work should be open and transparent. So we use GitHub to publish data draft data standard prior to them being finalized and get data public input. We just recently launched the open beta USA spending site to engage the public to help participate in the process of building the、um, ultimate USA spending. In May 2017, we also do outreach on a regular basis to external stakeholders. We want to be transparent and open and engaging、um, with our pro- approach. Secondly, we dis- we develop the data centric approach. We want to use technology to extract the data from current sources to meet the requirements. We don't want to make agency build. A lot of big system and make significant system changes in order to comply with the act.、Uh, data centric is essentially about making data portable, so that the data can be freed from the systems. 
Otherwise, every time we need new data, we will have to go through system changes. Um, an example of that, it would be our phone number. I think not too long ago, we um, the phone number is attached to the geographic location, and it's no longer the case. When we move now, we can take the same number with us, and then when we change provider, we can take the same number with us. I hope that we could get to the same thing for the data. We have also adopted modern and agile technology development process to develop our data-centric broker and future display website. We're using the agile principle. We are. We've actually adopted all of the plays outlined in the U.S. Digital Service Playbook, and our team is working on two-week sprints to develop these various components to eventually uh, implement, uh, get to May 2017. The fourth thing is we need data quality. Like I mentioned earlier, data will not be used to create value if the data is not good quality. So our approach uh, needs to be very focused on making sure that the data we ultimately publish will be of good quality. That means we need to access the data at the source. That means we have to have validations in place. That also means that we have to align incentives and accountability because today the bearer of data quality um, are data consumers. If agencies are, do not use the data and they're, um, or it's difficult to trace the, the providence of the data, it becomes very difficult to ensure data quality. And then lastly, um, it's very important to us that we do this in a way to create value. Value for the public, value for businesses, value for agencies. And one of the ways you need to do this uh, is to uh, establish uh, data definition standards. And I understand that the Data Act directs OMB and Treasury to do that. Would you tell us more about that effort? Uh, why is it so important? What's been accomplished to date? And what needs what remains to be done? One of the key requirements of the Data Act is to establish data standards. And ultimately, that's to ensure data quality and consistencies and also consumability. OMB and Treasury finalized the 57 data standards in August. We are continuing to work on our operational guidance and questions about how the data standards will be applied. Collecting public input on the data standards was an important part of our process. I mentioned GitHub earlier. We used GitHub to collect input from external public and private stakeholders on the standards. GitHub is an open source tool for online collaboration. We are using it to post information publicly on our efforts and collect input on the data standards and the schema. Before we finalize the data standard, we posted each proposed data element and its definition on GitHub for a three-week period. At that time, anyone could review the data element and submit their feedback to us. Afterwards, we review the feedback and determine what changes, if any, we should make in our data standard. That was our process. So you mentioned the data uh, uh, the schema 
And I want to talk about that because I don't want to get too technical, but adopting a new format for exchanging data across the federal government, that alone is challenging to implement. What is the Data Act schema? Um, what are the benefits of pursuing such, such a, uh, an effort? Yes, the Data Act schema is foundational to our data-centric approach and to ensure data quality. I mentioned about making data portable yeah. earlier. The schema will allow us to do that. And also the schema will allow us to uh, include some validation of the data, which will ensure data quality. We're dealing with some very complex data. Unlike the award-level data that most people are more familiar with uh, that are, have already been published on USA Spending, the Spending financial data is very complex. It doesn't have a lot of data elements. It's similar to our bank statements. You probably are dealing with four or five data elements, date, description. But within that, all that information include a lot of uh, intelligence about your spending habit, what you do, and, and that's the case for our uh, for the federal financial data as well. And we also have to try to link them together. Um, so having the data schema allow us to make sure that those linkages are clear and the information about the data um, that we are publishing is clear to the external stakeholders so that when they consume it, they understand how to interpret it, and they can then use it for whatever purpose, use the data for whatever purpose they need it to be for innovation or creation. And when you, you mentioned the user, I don't, in, in both instances, this is, in the, in the case of the user, it's everybody you're talking about. It's, it's, it's federal agencies, it's also citizens, correct? Yes. And, and what have you. Yes, okay. so users include it can be anybody. It can be anybody. There, there are, there are uh, novice users who just go on the site and, and like my parents, you know, <laughs> they will go on to find out what's been spent in their um, local community. And then we also have more power users who just want to take the data and then aggregate it or assimilate that with some other data sources to create other type of analytics to help their customers. There are, there are businesses that are focused on doing that. There's also journalists. Um, we also have, um, obviously, congressional users and agencies users. So what are, uh, what are some of the key challenges being faced by federal agencies in their efforts to implement the Data Act requirements? What are some of them? Implementing Data Act will require commitment and resources from the entire federal community. While its benefits are significant, um, I'm a firm believer of it, the challenges uh, with driving changes in allocating resources in a budget-constrained environment are real, and Data Act did not provide additional resources to Treasury or other federal agencies. The progress we can make is therefore constrained by our ability to reallocate existing resources. That's why to mitigate this challenge, Treasury is taking a data-centric approach to implementation. Our goal is to minimize cost burden 
to implement and maximize the strategic values for agencies and external stakeholders. Data implementation will also require strong leadership. As I mentioned earlier, that um, the silo, the data require data really coming from different function, even within an agency, which will require a lot of collaboration. And that requires strong leadership. And um, that's one of the reasons that we set out a very clear vision and value proposition for the agencies. The key to success in moving forward is um, perseverance, communication, collaboration, and holding people accountable for the implementation. How is the Data Act being implemented? We will ask Christina Ho, Deputy Assistant Secretary for Accounting Policy and Financial Transparency at the U.S. Department of the Treasury when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. Government leaders and managers face major challenges today, including fiscal austerity, citizen expectation, the pace of technology and innovation, and a new role for governance. These challenges influence how government executives lead today, but more importantly, how they can be prepared for tomorrow. The IBM Center report, Six Trends Driving Change in Government, offers a path forward for government executives responding to the ever-increasing complexity and challenges they face today. Download your free copy at businessofgovernment.org. What is enterprise risk management? How can federal agencies successfully implement ERM? And what are some of the key challenges of implementing ERM? Join host Michael Keegan as he explores these questions and more with Doug Webster and Tom Stanton, the authors of Improving Government Decision-Making Through Enterprise Risk Management. Tune in Mondays at 11 a.m. for the Business of Government Hour on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Christina Ho, Deputy Assistant Secretary for Accounting Policy and Financial Transparency within the U.S. Department of the Treasury. Also joining us from IBM is Catherine Eustis. Christina, would you explain the vision of a 360-degree spending transparency? What does that mean as a phrase, and what are some of the implications of realizing such a vision? I developed this vision before the data even was enacted um, back in um, October 2013. Um, did, I did, did the Data Act influence you? Because you, you probably, were you anticipating it being passed? Or no. Was it, this was completely top Okay. Yeah, this was when uh, fiscal service started to view data transparency as one of their top strategic goals. And I uh, spent some time thinking about the transparency the reason um, I felt like the 360 spending transparency is important is that the federal government spends money differently from an average citizen or company. Every time you and I spend money, it is a single transaction. We buy a cup of coffee and we pay for it. That's it. The f- federal government has a, a much more complicated process that the general public may not understand. It starts with appropriation, then it goes to 
apportionment, all these different special term obligation, and ultimately um, payment. From the time it got uh, the funds get appropriated, that process could take a while. And if we don't present the spending information in the right context within that 360 spending life cycle, I will call the data quality and the government's credibility into questions. For example, when people say how much they've spent, it could mean different stage of that spending life cycle, and therefore the number could be different. So uh, that's why it's very uh, important that we present the information in the right context, and I believe the 360-degree spending life cycle is the right context, and it's easy to understand. Uh, And for the data, we are um, actually fitting within a portion of that spending life cycle. The data doesn't require all of the stages to be reported. What's required is the award information, obligation, and and outlay. So I think by implementing the data, it's setting us on a path to eventually get to that ultimate vision. But when agencies hear that there's a a new regulation or legislation, they usually think of it as um, responding with a compliance exercise. To be successful, how important is it for agencies to approach the Data Act implementation not as a compliance exercise, but rather as an opportunity to transform the agency's access, share, and use of data? Our vision for the data implementation is better data, better decisions, which will lead to better government. We spend uh, a lot of time in the beginning to try to articulate that value proposition with the agencies to make sure that we uh, encourage them not to treat it just as a compliance exercise. It's been very encouraging to see the number of agency CFO who have actually embraced the vision of the data and see this as an opportunity for them to get better access to, to more data, which will ultimately help them make better decisions. CFO in particular, several of them have actually been publicly speaking about the value of the data and the opportunity it will present. As we do our implementation, I mentioned earlier about agile development, we're always mindful about making sure people see our progress. And we have been incrementally piloting real data and allow agencies to see what it means when the financial data and the award data are linked and what information they'll have uh, and what insight they will have based on that that they didn't have before. And I think we have been able to demonstrate that. In my mind, a 21st century federal government should not have data calls. And I think that often resonates with agency very well. But this is a significant change in management and organizational shift. What help are the federal agencies receiving to ensure success of the Data Act? And how can the, the flow of the data help foster the culture of continuous improvement? Treasury has established a program management office at our Bureau of the Fiscal Service to support the government-wide data implementation. 
Our program management office developed resources for agencies. We conducted workshops, hold monthly meetings with our senior accountable officials. We also hold weekly office hour with agencies. And very recently, we also held uh, what we call a sandbox session for agencies to actually bring their data to Treasury to test it against our prototype broker. We're also speaking with agencies about other resources or business intelligence tools that we could provide to help them analyze the data. There is a huge opportunity for agency CFOs, program managers, and leadership to use this data to continuously improve. And Treasury feel while it is the agency's responsibility to provide quality data, it's Treasury's um, responsibility to make sure that that's as easy as possible. So we develop tools and resources to support the agencies. And I'd like to talk at least about a couple of those tools or, Alan, a couple of the key steps that uh, can help agencies fulfill the requirements of the Data Act. And how does the Data Act playbook factor into this effort? What other tools have you folks provided to help agencies get from point A to point B? Yes. So we develop and publish the Data Act playbook, which includes eight steps. And the first step is organize the team. This might be one of the most important or difficult step. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, this is uh, multi-cross-functional, and it requires a team of people with different subject matter expertise and skill sets. It also requires someone to really lead and facilitate that team so that they can collectively and collaboratively working together to reach um, solution. The second step is to review the 57 data elements and then inventory the, the 57 data elements to see where the data resides. Then based on that to really strategize what's the best approach for that agencies because we want the agency to use this as an opportunity to also think about the other data challenges and there might be opportunity as they design their solution and strategy to solve those problems as well. And then the fifth uh, step is execute broker. Broker is something Treasury is actually developing right now. The uh, broker is a tool that's intended to help agency validate the data and also structure the data into the data act schema. We didn't want agency to bear the burden of uh, providing the data already in the schema. So this is the, the a very important tool that um, we think will be helpful to agency and minimize their burden. The sandbox I mentioned earlier was actually a prototype broker that we developed that agency could actually upload their file and and experience that. Then a, uh, the sixth step is testing the broker implementation, update their system, and submit data. We're holding regular meetings and calls with agencies over the next two years as implementation continues, and we will continue to develop resources to support the agency teams. 
Well, you've mentioned, Christina, USAspending.gov a couple of times, and I, I wanted to understand what are you doing to improve the quality of data that's submitted to this site? Yes. So what the first thing is to have data standard that will ensure that that data is consistently defined and extracted. We want to get the data from the source. So that will ultimately help with data quality because before the data even get to USA spending, that data probably has traveled multiple through multiple systems. And some of them probably have manual steps in between. So to make sure that data come from the source um, is really important to the data quality. And then lastly, I think, is to align the um, incentives with accountability. Ultimately, agencies own the data that they are providing to Treasury for to publish, and they are accountable for making sure that the data provided to Treasury for publication is of quality. And then, then if they are also using those data themselves, if we make it easy for them to consume the same data, uh, that they didn't have uh, uh, easy access either through visualization tool or other analytical tool, that will um, make them want to use their own data more. And if they're using it regularly, they will want the data to be good quality. Mm-hmm. So from a, a classic sort of people process technology perspective, which of these three, or maybe all of them, provide the largest impact on data app implementation and holds the biggest challenge for the success of the effort? If you were to look at the people, the process, and the technology, are they all equal or is something really driving this as the most challenging? They're definitely not equal. <laughs> I would say technology is the least challenging. Okay. Wow. Um, the biggest challenge I would say would be people, okay. and that that means um, not not just the skill set, but but the culture. Um, I mentioned earlier about historically, the government is set up that that there's not a lot of cross functional interaction. And when you have to do that and you have to engage with people who have different background, who may not speak the same exact language as you, that that's challenging. So um, I would rate people as the highest, and, and, and it's mainly because people also involves culture, and some of the culture are very um, deep-rooted. What are some of the key challenges in implementing the Data Act? We will ask Christina Ho, Deputy Assistant Secretary for Accounting Policy and Financial Transparency at the U.S. Department of the Treasury, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. In a world inundated with all kinds of information, timely, relevant, and more predictive data can drive better decision-making. Law enforcement agencies are at the forefront in leveraging data and using innovative software to generate predictions that help police prevent crime. What is predictive policing? How can using analytics make us safer? Check out the IBM Center report, Predictive Policing, Preventing Crime with Data and Analytics by Jen Bachner, and find out. Download your free copy at businessofgovernment.org. 
What do agency leaders need to know about the federal acquisition process? What are some of the key federal procurement trends? And how can agency leaders overcome today's acquisition challenges? Check out the new Center Report, A Guide for Agency Leaders on Federal Acquisition, by Trevor Brown and find out. The report offers practical recommendations for improving federal acquisition. Download your free copy of A Guide for Agency Leaders on Federal Acquisition at businessofgovernment.org and find out how the business of government is not business as usual. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Christina Ho, Deputy Assistant Secretary for Accounting Policy and Financial Transparency within the U.S. Department of the Treasury. Also joining us from IBM is Catherine Eustace. So, uh, Christina, how are you leveraging partnerships in this effort, and uh, what are you doing to continually engage uh, key external stakeholders? Outreach is a very important part of our strategy. Uh, In September 2014, uh, which was over a year ago, we held the first town hall to kick off our work, and we solicited public input on their interests and desired outcomes from the Data Act. The um, Many people attended the town hall. In addition to the senior officials from the government, we had um, transparency advocacy group. We had a lot of non-federal stakeholders attending the meeting. GitHub is a public-facing site where we have been publishing our standard and get input from the external stakeholder. We also have monthly communication with the external stakeholders, and we continue to solicit their input. We also launch, I I mentioned earlier, a new site, openbeta.usaspending.gov. That's our uh, latest effort to engage the public to design the website uh, of the future USA spending. And we have been getting... um, some very good comment, and we actually feed those, um, the feed the discussion and comments into our development cycle as well. So it it it's a really good feedback loop, and um, we believe that instead of the reason why we we launch open beta is we believe instead of if we build it they'll come. It should be if the public builds it. It will use it. Well, as a follow-up to engaging external stakeholders, how can industry specifically benefit from and contribute to successful implementation of the Data Act? Industry is already contributing to the Data Act by working with their many government partners to implement the Data Act requirements and helping the government develop new tools to analyze and use the data. I am actually seeing in the past year a lot of proliferation of industry uh, ideas relate because of the data act. I think that the industry is very excited about this opportunity, and some of them have actually commented to me that they view this potentially could make D.C. the second Silicon Valley, which is very exciting for me to hear. Um <laughs> So we definitely think industry has a big role to play in terms of helping us uh, come up with solutions to access the data 
as well as using the data to create values. You know, states have been making great strides and launching robust transparency initiatives for some time. Are you working with states in the federal spending transparency efforts? States are in some ways ahead of the federal government when it comes to spending transparency. The state of Ohio's Treasury Treasurer's Office has created a forward-thinking spending transparency site, and the treasurer is working to link up all the local-level spending data into one site. A representative from Ohio came to our, our recent user roundtable meeting last month and offered some ideas about how federal, state, and local government data can be linked. I also spoke to a few officials from. Connecticut and in Washington State and other cities as well. We are um, when when I talk to them about challenges and things like that, they they are quite consistent. It, the yeah. difference yeah. is scope, breadth, and depth um, of the government. Yes, itself. the federal government scope Huge. is so much larger. Um, and I also think that the one potential opportunity in the future. Which is why the schema is very important in terms of using industry standard. Is at some point we can link the data from the federal government to state and local and potentially international. Because if you think about the spending lifecycle, the federal government spending has a long tail. We um, give money to state. And give, then they could be giving it to the local government or hire contractors. We also give out foreign aids and um, to foreign government, um, uh, not in, in organization. And if we could t- link all that together at some point, the uh, value and the insight would be significant. Mm-hmm. I, I do have a question. It's a, sort of a follow-on because you mentioned the schema and you mentioned uh, working or talking with the states and seeing similarities uh, of some of the challenges. The, the size and mag- magnitude, uh, magnitude is probably the biggest issue. Was well, How did you folks come up with this schema and the other things around it? You, didn't, you started from scratch, right? And uh, Did you borrow and from different efforts previously or – Yes, for sure. Uh, we're all about leveraging existing work. Um, I mentioned earlier when in the earlier segment about my uh, career path. Uh, when I was the assistant commissioner for government-wide accounting, I developed the vision for the organization to eventually evolve into a data organization. And I actually started a pilot at that point to take the financial data already reported by agencies to us and make it into a industry standard, which that's the beginning of the really the schema. So when data passed, we leveraged that and built it out further because the pilot I did initially was really based on um, a subset of the data that Data Act requires. And at the highest summary level. Since then, we have been building it out to include additional financial data and also award-level data. So that's how the schema evolved. But one of the things, even at that point, before the data was enacted, that was very important to me was that we should use industry standard. Mm -hmm. We need to move away from proprietary format. Uh, The reason 
I actually had experienced that I mentioned earlier at the time we were going through modernization effort justice system. We were developing a new system to collect the financial data from agencies, and that's proprietary format. So um, out of that uh, division development, I felt that it was very important to move to industry standard, which became um, something that we were able to leverage be, uh, after the data act. That's wonderful. Good context. Um, so, Christina, what does the future hold? What's What lies ahead in the Data Act implementation area? I'm very excited about the future. We have a real opportunity to unlock federal data and free it up to be analyzed and acted on to improve the way the government works. If you think about the uh, federal spending is, is that for fiscal year FY15 was $3.7 trillion. And depending on the data sources, that accounts for about 20% of the GDP. And if you have access to all the data that make up that information, the, the opportunity is significant for value creation. Our vision continues to be better data, better decisions, and better government. I think that is highly attainable and I believe we'll get there in the near future. And Treasury will continue to innovate in the field of spending transparency and will continue to deliver our mission for another 200 years. <laughs> That's a nice way, to, nice way to put it. So uh, given your background, how you got here in terms of uh, coming over from the private sector, uh, what advice would you give someone who's thinking about a career in public service? My advice would be to really understand what motivates you. If you are interested in making an impact, then there's nothing that will give you greater opportunity and satisfaction than joining the public service. The government needs more talent as we deal with more and more complex challenges every day. So I hope that more people will join the public service. Uh, so, Christina, thank you for joining us and taking some time out of your busy schedule to be here. Uh, but more importantly, Catherine and I would like to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Thank you. And I hope that uh, everyone will continue to um, go to the resources we have on GitHub and also openbeta.usaspending.gov to engage and give us their comments. This has been the Business of Government Hour a conversation with Christina Ho, Deputy Assistant Secretary for Accounting Policy and Financial Transparency within the U.S. Department of the Treasury. My co-host from IBM has been Catherine Eustace. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org. What is enterprise risk management? How can federal agencies successfully implement ERM? And what are some of the key challenges of implementing ERM? Join host Michael Keegan as he explores these questions and more with Doug Webster and Tom Stanton, the authors of Improving Government Decision-Making Through Enterprise Risk Management.
Tune in Mondays at 11 a.m. for the Business of Government Hour on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m.